Good to see you tonight. Cam, welcome. Yeah, your favorite active Marine right there. Welcome home. Uh, good to see you back. In fact, we've got a table of uh, Marines over there. Your favorite Marines, I would suppose. So good to see you. And welcome. Glad you're here. We're going to take a few moments to pray, and then we'll get started with our study. So, Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for... Your presence, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you're in our midst. That's what you said. And so we welcome you, Jesus, to inspire, to encourage, to comfort. We welcome you, God, to to teach, to reveal. Uh, uh, we just ask you that this would be a time where you'd be glorified. I pray that we would open our hearts our minds and just be ready to receive what you want to pour out and what you want to do. So thanks again for your presence. Thanks again for this opportunity. Thanks again for this time to gather. Uh, we ask, Father, that you would bless and again be glorified. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have Bibles, uh, you can open up to Deuteronomy 8.2. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. Uh, usually we we have Bibles available right on the table, so uh, you can feel free to use that Bible. If you need a Bible, you can also feel free to take that with you. We obtain Bibles to give away, and so if you'd like to take one home, you're more than welcome to do that, because we'll get more. Also, we want to take the opportunity to make you aware of an interactive feature for a Bible study uh, for people that listen to the study on our podcast. It's through our website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. That's all one word. And you go to that page. There's a button there to toggle. And you can leave us a message. Uh, it's like leaving a voicemail. And so you can ask a question, make a comment, uh, just say hi, tell us where you're from, whatever it is. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll endeavor to play whatever you leave on the message uh, next time we gather. Uh, so I take advantage of that. We'd love to hear from you. It's always good to hear from people uh, that are in different places, different parts of the world. Uh, we had, I think last year, someone left us a message in French, so we had to do a quick interpretation of that, translation of that. But uh, again, we'd love to hear from you, whatever language or whoever, however, and we'll endeavor to either answer your question or at least uh, acknowledge that you did contact us. So take advantage of that. We'd love to hear from you. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. So I'd like to read that. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in the word that you know was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. All right, thanks. Uh, this is a, a verse that uh, is part of a, an exhortation it goes for about 10 verses if you read through that part of the chapter, of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. 
what you see there is a, an exhortation that he just is trying to encourage the people in a few different ways. Uh, but uh, basically, the, the two things he's trying to get across and that he keeps repeating and using other language to describe is the first thing is to remember that God leads and guides us. Uh, that was number one. And the second thing is that remember that we are rebellious and make stuff up. Okay, those are two things he was trying to, to get across. So again, the first one, remember God leads and guides our lives. And the second is remember that we are rebellious and we make stuff up. So he's exhorting his people in those two areas. Uh, and and so an exhortation is just an encouragement. It, it's a... Is something that is trying to move us in a certain direction or trying to remind us of a certain thing or trying to encourage us to kind of move towards something that God wants us to do. And so that's when he gives us this exhortation. Now, when you think about remembering stuff, um, I was just watching a movie uh, about a guy who uh, it was uh, some type of military veteran and he coming out of the military, had uh, some type of mental issues, ended up homeless, and all these other things, but he was fighting and dealing with his memories. And it's kind of interesting because a memory and remembering stuff can help us or it can hinder us. And what I mean by that? Well, uh, if we remember things and we're able to take that which we've been through, we've got to learn from experience, remember when things that were good happened to us, remember when uh, something that was positive took place in our life, that can be a real encouragement for us. In other words, you know, we're praying or we're in a situation where we need something. Uh, it could be financial. Maybe we're in a financial situation where we really need uh, God to come through or we really need something to happen uh, for us to make a payment or for us to do something that needs to get done. But we remember that we were in this situation before and when we prayed about it, God answered the prayer, and so he provided, and we had it covered. So remembering in that case, and then applying it to a current situation, might give us hope. It might give us uh, a little bit of encouragement to pray. It might give us a little bit of encouragement to believe God that he provides. And so it could be a good thing to remember. Uh, other ways that we remember sometimes that are some kind of hinder us are times where we failed or times where we made bad decisions or times where uh, people talked about us or talked down to us and we were discouraged by that and so remembering those kind of things can be a real hindrance to us uh, or in the case of like this movie this guy that he came back from military service and was plagued by memories of that service and was hindering his ability to live a normal life so Remembering is part of the equation, but another part of the equation is what are you remembering? And how do you interpret that? How do you use that? And so, as we're being exhorted in these verses, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, God, what he wanted to remind them of were, was that he protects them and he provides for them. And that specifically was something that he wanted his people to remember. Uh, if you think about their journey that they took, and these are the children of Israel thousands of years ago, they took a journey from Egypt to Canaan. 
that's the journey. And they're on foot, and there are a lot of them. But if you track their journey and you look at it, they were able to move X amount of distance in three days, and then they were able to move another distance in another nine days, ten days, eleven days. And so you look at how far they moved, they really were, would have been able to cross the, the wilderness that they needed to cross and get to Canaan in a matter of weeks. It wasn't that this was a, a 40-year journey. I mean, you could crawl. They could have crawled from Egypt to Canaan in less than 40 years. If that was, if they were just going straight line and that was what was happening. But that wasn't what was happening that the journey that they were taking was something else. It wasn't just point A to point B in a straight line and as fast as you could get there. That wasn't the purpose of the journey. Now, I think of every journey that way. That's just me personally. I'm not a sightseer. All right. So when I need to get somewhere, I want to go from point A to point B as fast as I can get there. That's my idea of a good time. Because I want to go somewhere, I want to get there, and that's it. That's just the way I am. You know, I'm not the guy stopping to see the world's largest ball of yarn, okay? I'm not the guy that's stopping to see some novelty or some attraction. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't stop at the petrified forest. I, I don't stop at uh, uh, petrified caverns or anything else, all right? And, and my family wasn't like that. Like, my grandfather, he loved to stop. He loved to he'd take the back roads. And he'd meander wherever we were going, and he would stop somewhere, and we'd see, you know, whatever, petrified forests and petting zoos and, and stalactites and stalagmites or whatever. I mean, he just wanted to stop, and we'd stop, and that'd be it. But I never, I never caught that. It never it didn't happen. Because my dad wasn't like that. He, he was straight line, get there. And so I must have picked it up from him, straight line, get there. Well, this wasn't one of those things. And so when... God reminds them about him protecting them, or God reminds them about his provision. He reminds them that he leads and guides our lives. What he's reminding them of is that it's not always the straight line. And it's not always the way that we would go. Like if we looked at the map, I'm going from A to B. Well, obviously this is the straight line. It's the fastest way, so I'm going to take it. Well, that's what I want to do. But I'm reminded that that's not always the way God has for us. That's not always the way that He wants us to go. That's not what He's leading us to. That's not how He's guiding us all the time. And as I said, that's point number one, is that God leads and guides our lives. But what was point number two? That we are what? Rebellious. And we make stuff up. Why? Why? What's the simple answer? Why are we rebellious and make stuff up? Why? Well, yeah, and if you turn that around, we just want to do what we want to do, right? And so if what we want to do conflicts with the way God is leading us, we're going to make something up so that we can do what we want to do. That's the nature of rebellion. In other words, I, I want to do this. This is the way I want to do it. This is the timing I want to do it in. This is where I want to go, what I want to do. That's it. And I will make whatever I need to make up in order to justify, if I even bother to do that, I will make up what I need to make up to justify just doing whatever I want. Yeah. So he's reminding us that his way may not be the way that we would go, and we have a tendency as humans 
to just want to do what we want to do and go our own way anyway. So you've got these two things going on. These are the things that we need to remember. Why? Well, because we're living. Why? Because we're on a journey. We're living our lives. And as we're living our lives, there's always those conflicts. The conflicts between this is what God has, this is where He has for me to go, this is what He has for me to do, this is His time, this is His provision, this is His place. All right. So we've got that on one hand. On the other hand, we've got what we want, when we want to do it, and how we want it to take place. And so there's a conflict. And we need to remember that. So that we don't blindly just make stuff up for the rest of our lives. So we don't blindly just do whatever we want for the rest of our lives. Because we have a choice. And if we see that as a choice, and we understand that as a choice, and if we give... God, the opportunity to lead us and guide us for real. Not just in words, but for real. And then that would be a moment where maybe we'd do something else and we'd make a different decision to do what He wants us to do. He proves over time that what He wants is better. And so what we see happening here in Deuteronomy 8 is that we get a little bit of understanding behind why God leads us different ways. We get a little bit of understanding about why sometimes it doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. If you look at that verse, it says God leads us all the way. All the way. So in other words, what he was reminding them of is like every twist and turn they took, every twist and turn through that wilderness they took, a a two-week journey that took 40 years, 40. (coughs) He was leading them and he was guiding them all the way. And so it was all him. Now they had something physical they were following. They had a, a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. And they had something literal and physical that they just followed it. They didn't want to. I mean, how many times did they talk about heading back to Egypt? Because there was at least good food there. You know, and slavery. But they, you know, they didn't want to. That that was their discussion. So, whatever. But and so they had uh, the leading, and you think about that, it's like, wow, it's pretty obvious. You got the pillar, you got the pillar, you got the leading, but he was leading them all the way. That's what that says. And so, that's how he leads. That's the manner by which he leads is all the way. All the way. And so, I know it's convenient, and this is part of the stuff we make up. It's really convenient for us to to think to ourselves, all right, well, God created everything, and He just set it all in motion, and then the rest is up to us. And there were a lot of good deists, uh, you know, 250 years ago, that believed that. Famous people that believed that. But it's really convenient to believe that, because then you just do what? what you want to do, right? Yeah. So that's quite convenient to, to believe that. It's like, so on one hand, I can still believe in God. I can still believe that He is the creator of the universe. I can still believe that, that He loves us. But on the other hand, He just set things in motion so I can still do what I want to do. And unfortunately, that philosophy and that idea 
has filtered down and gotten into a lot of people and the way we think. And so instead of being a people that are really looking for God to lead us all the way, we're satisfied with having some philosophical understanding, some philosophical faith about a God that's out there and that loves us, but we still get to do whatever we want to do. And there's something really missing from that. There's an intimacy missing from that. There's a relationship that's really missing from that that God wants to have with us. And part and parcel to us following after Him, part and parcel to us answering a call that we have over our lives is that. That the apostles, when they answered the call, they had to leave behind their thing in order to follow him. It was all in the same thing. It was all in the same decision. The apostles, when they decided that they were going to, this Jesus, he was the way, they had to walk away from their what they were doing for a living. They had to walk away from their families, some of them. They had families. And they just had to go. And they had to follow him. Because there were always people, he would call them and they'd say, well, and he gave examples of people, he would call and they would say, yeah, well, let me go and take care of my family obligations first, and once my family obligations are done, then I'll follow after you. And Jesus say, no, it don't work that way. Or, I'm really worried, God, because um, I don't think you really have any, you look homeless to me, and I, I don't want to be homeless. I need a place to lay my head. Yeah, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Nope, that's not the way it works. And so you go down through the list of stuff that that we have as, as the, the, he described from people that had excuses, and it was, just wasn't it. That wasn't the intimacy. That wasn't the relationship he's looking for from his people, from his disciples, from his apostles. That's what, what he's looking for. It, it's convenient to us, but not congruent with his expectations for a relationship with him. And so we come back to something that, this exhortation that he gives his people in Deuteronomy thousands of years, thousands of years before, that this is how he leads. And so our memory, what we remember, must include a recognition of divine guidance. That we need to have some type of a a recognition that God is leading us, has led us, and will lead us. And so when we think back on our lives, we need to look at it through that lens, like, well, how did God lead me here? Or, or what? where did God lead me there? Because if you look at your life, rarely is your life a straight line, especially the older you get. Because where you thought you were going to be, and then where you're at, the older you get, it's obvious that wherever you thought you were going to be, that, that set sail a while back, all right? And that went somewhere else, and you are where you are. And I'm not trying to be a crusty old dude that's just telling you your dreams will never come true. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is, is that there's always alterations. There's always things that happen in our lives, and, and we end up maybe somewhere else. That's okay. It's okay we end up somewhere else where we didn't plan to be or we didn't think was going to happen. That's all right. Okay, that's all right. 
So, and, and, and recognizing God's hand in all of that. Chris, you're looking at me. You're still gonna you're still gonna play rugby for your country, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. You hear me though, right? I mean, it's like we don't know until we get to where we're at, and then you look back and you say, "All right, well, this is how God. This is what opened up. This is what happened. This is where I was led. These are the things that that took place. That even though in the midst of it you didn't think of it that way, we need a memory. We need a a way of looking at life, making sense out of God's leading, guiding, and provision over our lives. You know, in the book of Acts, when they were describing the, the early church, they described the early church as the way. The way. What way? The way. Whose way? Yeah, God's way. Okay? And that's then that name even is a recognition of this is how he does things. And it was a group of people that had made a decision to follow after his way and go his way. That was it. And so even people that were around them by living doing their thing, going about their lives, recognized that the followers of Christ were following something in someone else. That they weren't doing what they were doing. But they had given up that to follow after Him. That even other people could see that. I don't know if you've ever had people see or, or, or take a look at you when you're making certain decisions in your life. But there's certain times, and I can, you know, in my life, where I've made certain decisions that seem so dumb that people noticed. They just did. It's like, why would you not take that opportunity? Why would you not do that thing? Why would you not go for that? I mean, it's such a great opportunity. Who would turn that down? Well, that's what I'm talking about. That our lives are sometimes marked to the point that other people notice by those kind of decisions. Because we're being led on the way. Not our way, but the way. And so those are the moments where people take note. And it's usually in those moments that we just look monumentally stupid. But that's okay. Like, who would do that? I don't even have answers for those kind of things. Because if you say, Jesus told me, you look crazier than you do already, right? (laughs) So, I, I mean, I don't even know how to answer that. It just is what it is. But God's plan and God's purpose and as God leads, you know, we, we, the reason our memory needs a recognition of those moments is so that we feel more confident in those moments in the future to make similar decisions. Because we've seen it happen in the past. We've understood it happening in the past. 
and we're willing to follow after that leading and that guiding in the future. I mean, you think about the, these people that are being exhorted in this. After 30 years of, of wandering through the wilderness following the cloud and the pillar of fire, I mean, it becomes second nature after a while. When that fire and that smoke, they descend into the tabernacle and you're resting for a while, but then when you see that leave the tabernacle, what time? What, what time is it? Do you know? When they would leave the tabernacle and get out in front of the, the children of Israel, what time was it? Time to go. Pack it up and let's go. And then it would come to rest. Fill the tabernacle again. What time is it? Time to stay. Time to stay. Pillars turning right. Where are you turning? Right. Turning left. Turning left. you got a million people. But they knew enough to follow. And after 30 years, it just became something. It's like, well, what's going to happen in the morning? You're going to go out and get your manna, right? We talked about this. You just know you're doing that. On, Saturday, on Fridays, how much you gathering? Twice as much. Because you can't get any on Saturday. All right? So you gather twice as much. You're good for Saturday, Sunday. Go back out there in the morning, get it. What if the what if the presence leaves the tabernacle? You got the smoke and the fire. Time to go. You become used to the patterns. You become used to being led. You become used to that kind of a guidance in your life. And you just follow. You just follow. And they had some ideas over the years, bad ones, but they had them. And they grumbled and they complained. And they said what they needed to say, and they did what they needed to do. It still didn't change the fact that God was still looking out for them, that God still loved them, and that God was still providing for them, and God was still leading them. Because He did. And there were some stupid ideas that they had that they had to pay a price for. Well, yep. Because it happens sometimes. It happens. So the wilderness... And I said they were in their wilderness for, what, 40 years? The wilderness has a purpose. And, and, you know, we always talk about how they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Well, they weren't exactly wandering. They were being led. And, I mean, if you look at the, and, and I've said this before, if you ever get a chance to look at a map on how they, they went across the wilderness, it's like, you know, like a dotted line. It's usually a dotted line, and they're just wandering back and forth. I mean, you know, they, you know, whatever, you've seen this, we've been here before, okay. And it's just this big knot of dotted lines of them wandering around, but they're being led. We say it's wandering because it looks like wandering, but they were being led. And there, there was a purpose to the wilderness, that guided wandering, that, that, that thing. And, and you know what? They could have gotten to Canaan, like I said, in two weeks. They could have. That it was immediately there. It was there. Leave Egypt. Two weeks later, boom, we're there. But there was something that had to happen for them. Something had to happen. Something needed to change. Something needed to die off. If you know the story, you understand what I just said. But something had to change. And so off they went on this meandering led path through the wilderness. And the wilderness had its purpose. But you know what? You know, salvation's like that. 
You know, I, I wasn't born saved. Like, I didn't just come out of the womb. Although provision is there for me to be saved right away. And you too. Like, the provision is there. And so, you know, if I, and I joke about being born into it, but some people are kind of born into it. But then you still have to make an individual decision, which may have been, you know, seven, ten years old, whatever it was. It, it, it didn't happen for me then either. But it was available. But I needed to, to go about something else for a while. And I needed to live a different way for a while or something. Something was going on in my life where the wilderness played a part in my maturity. The wilderness played a part in me growing up. Whatever that would be. And I, and I can look back on it and say, oh, they were wasted years. Were they? I can't really say that. I can say that I did a lot of wandering. And I can say that I did a lot of you know, soul searching and trying to figure things out. And I couldn't figure anything out and all the rest of that stuff. But when the time was right... When the time was right, the time was right. And all of that provision over my life came to fruition, and I came to know Jesus that night. But there was a formation taking place in me of character. And that was before I even knew Jesus. And since then, how much has, has my life seemed like I was in a holding pattern? How much of my life has seemed like I was going in the opposite direction of where I thought I was going to be? How much of my life seemed like I was just, and I hate to use this expression because it's not true, but it's the way I felt like I was just wasting time. Just wasting time. And I hate to waste time. But how much of my life have I felt that way? Quite a bit. But the fact of the matter is, most of that is just untrue. Because the wilderness has a purpose. That guided wandering that, that, that God leads us through has a purpose in our life. And it's the formation of a new character in us. Because one of the things that God wants to do that He's really serious about with us is He wants to take away pride. And I know I, I talk about pride quite a bit, but we have a real issue with pride, especially in our culture. And it's not just our culture, but I'm just talking about generationally. You know, I travel quite a bit, and every culture has its pride. And and as you travel and you see people, it, it's a human condition. And so it, it's not just me or you. It's not just where we live. It's everywhere. That it's a human condition to live in a certain degree of pride. Well, he wanted pride gone. He wanted it gone. You read that verse. Go, I mean, you read Deuteronomy 8.2. And it says in there, he wanted it gone in them. And what's funny about it is that reality and truth, now hear what I say here, reality and truth have a way of doing that. I mean, everybody is the, is the, the UFC champ until you get them on a mat. Okay? Everybody knows how to fight, man. They will sit there watching television and they watch the UFC fights and then they'll yell at that guy, hey, do this, do that. Like, you know, they know how to do it. And everybody's an expert and everybody's a champ until you put them on the mat. And then reality and truth have a way of dealing with that. It just does. If you've ever done any grappling or you've ever 
been involved in any martial arts and you've had you fought someone or, or sparred someone that was better than you, reality and truth have a way of setting things in a certain perspective. It just does. Right. It just does. God likes us to be humble. And I think it's a better condition for us to live humbly than to live pridefully. And I know that's not really popular. It's not. I mean, we're encouraged to be prideful. And I know it's not I know it's not popular for me to say that, but I really believe God that's what he has for us is to live humbly. Now, when I say humbly or living humbly, I'm not saying uh, that we're to be some type of mousy people. That's not what I'm looking at. And that's not what I think God means by that. I don't think Jesus was mousy. I don't think the apostles were mousy. I think they were bold. I think they were full of authority. And I think they understood who they were. I think Jesus understood who he was. But I don't think he was prideful. There's a reality and truth to who he was. There's a reality and truth to who Peter was or James or John. There was a reality and truth to that. And if you understand the reality and truth of it, in other words, I understand my strong points, I understand my weak points. I understand where I fail, I understand where I succeed. I understand what's real in my life, what's made up and what's not real. I understand those things. And as we understand more and more of that reality, it helps us not to live in pride and not to live as a doormat but to find a balance so that we can live in reality, we can live in boldness, we can really live in faith. And there's something really powerful about that. And so I want to just speak that. I want to speak that reality. I want to speak that, that, that God wants pride gone from us. And he wants us to live humbly. But in the reality of what that really means in his economy. Not in what we've made up, or not in what the world has presented, but really in the economy of God. David, you think about the, the King David, was humble. And yet, he went out and did what kings do. And he made his mistakes, and he had his victories. But he was a man after God's own heart. A real person. A real, live person. We're real life people. And so, allowing God to teach us through the wanderings in the wilderness, allowing God to show us who we are through those wanderings, allowing God to lead us and guide us, to remind us of who we are, to lead us and guide us, to remind us of our dependence on Him, to lead us and guide us, to remind us that He sees everything and our scope of vision is really limited, for Him to lead us and guide us, where we think we're smarter than him and he assures us we're not, over and over again, is to lead us to a place of humility and to kill pride in our lives. I mean, how many times, and I'm going to ask this, this is a generic question, don't answer me, but how many times are you going to make that same mistake and fail? How many times? I mean, you think about that. It's like, all right, well, I did the wrong thing here, and I failed. Okay, you did the wrong thing, and you failed. 
What did you learn from that? Don't do that. Well, then what do you go ahead and do? I did the wrong thing. Same thing again, and I failed. How many times are you going to go through that? You've got to make a different decision at some point, or you're going to keep doing it. You've got to. You've got to come to a conclusion. And here's the conclusion. You ready? You ready? You're wrong. That's the conclusion. You're just wrong. And, and you know what? You're wrong, and, and that, that whatever your answer was on that question just got a big X through it, a red X through it. You're wrong. Make the correction and move on. If we could only do that. But it's hard to admit we're wrong sometimes. And some of you come from backgrounds where if you admit you're wrong, then you're just a, a turd or something. You're not really, but that's what's in your head. That's what's in your head. And, and it's wrong. That, that is wrong. You're not a turd because you made a mistake. You just made a mistake. And, and you can correct it, and then you can move on. And that's good. That's how we grow. That's how we become more. And we don't keep just dragging through the same thing. Wandering through the same part of the wilderness over and over again. I don't like this part of the wilderness. Good. Make a different decision. God will lead you to a different spot. All right? He does. Because he, He's all about us growing. He's all about us, our character being formed in the way that He wants to form it. And new character in us. Another part of that verse, it talks about how God... Uh, how God tests us to reveal our hearts. Now, think about that. God tests us to reveal our hearts. To whom? Not to Him, right? <laughs> no, I mean, think about that for a second. He's not testing us to reveal our hearts to Him. He already knows our heart. He doesn't need to do that for His sake. He tests us to reveal our hearts to us. Me, yeah. Because we don't know... Because the Bible says in Jeremiah, it says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And the answer to that question is God. And the other answer to that question is not us. And so we go through different things. We go through different circumstances, situations. We wander and we're led through this wilderness, whatever that is. And part of the reason that we're being led there, part of the productivity and the purpose of the wilderness is so that we can see the truth about our hearts. It'll be revealed to us. So I look up Second Chronicles. This example of somebody later on. Second Chronicles thirty two thirty one. Second Chronicles thirty two thirty one. Again, here's a verse, and I, and I want to assure you, God knows what's in our hearts. Who was he showing what was in his heart in that verse? If it's not God, who is it? The king. Right, the king. I forget who it was. Is it Hezekiah there? Yeah. yeah. So, he was, he was showing him what was in his heart. And so this is something 
And this is hundreds of years later. But you see the same process going on. It's not, he's not just talking to a nation here. He's talking to individuals. And then later on in Second Chronicles, he's talking to an individual. And he's explaining why certain circumstances took place in that guy's life. It was to show him something that was going on in his heart. So, so who he really is. So it's something that's really happening in him. So that he can see something in truth. But you know what? If you're prideful, you have a hard time seeing that, don't you? That you face certain circumstances. What's the reaction if you're, if you're super prideful and you're facing certain circumstances that are adversarial to you? Whether you get mad or bitter or upset, or you make a decision that things like this should not be happening to you, right? You don't deserve this. How many times have you heard people say, I really don't deserve this? I don't know. But people say that. They say, well, this isn't right. I, I don't know that either. I don't. How can God let this happen? Maybe he's making it happen. I have no idea. Those are always the wrong questions. Always. Always the wrong questions. They may be natural and they may be human, but they're the wrong questions. They start. And somehow, some way, God wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. And he wants our character to change. No matter where we're at. We're in that wilderness. There's a reason we're there. We're in that, that really tough spot. Well, there's a reason we're in that tough spot. And, and our vision sometimes is so narrow. It's so short. We can't see it. That's human. I mean, it's hard to see beyond just whatever's in front of our face. Especially for some of us, because they're really nearsighted. But we are. We can see this far, or this far, or however far we can see out. Uh, but, yeah, God has such a huge and, and big view of things. He just does. It, it's good to get that bigger picture sometimes. It really is. It's good to, to get a different perspective and a huger, huger perspective. On, uh, and that is a real word here in central New York, huger perspective on on what's happening around us. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Yeah. You know that guy's everywhere, right? I mean, he's in Florida for sure. He's in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he just was taking vacation different places and said, oh, I'll start a car dealership here. I mean, you look at where he goes, Florida, Vegas, and Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever. Huger. But to have that bigger picture is important. I mean, it just is. And we need it sometimes. But we, we, can't, we can't manufacture that ourselves. Understand that. If we could, we would, but we can't. And so we can only see as far as we can see. We can only understand as far as we can understand. We can only uh, really have vision for as far as we have vision for. And that's it. And, and, and anything else beyond that, hear me please, anything else beyond that, you're making it up. Stop. Stop making it up. God has vision. He has a bigger picture. He sees things a lot broader, bigger, longer, it's he, he's got the view. 
He's got the view. And, and He wants to reveal our hearts to us from that view that He has. Not the immediacy of whatever our circumstance happens to be. So we get down to the bottom of these verses, of this verse here, and, and we see God is really watching our obedience. He's watching. What's he watching for? Well, you know, the, the basic question is, will we obey? And, and that's kind of a loaded question because, is it will we obey if we don't know the outcome? Will we, we obey if we don't understand the instruction? Will we obey if we don't see the benefit of following the instruction? Will we obey if we don't understand where the instruction is ultimately leading? Will we obey if it seems like it's counterproductive to our goals or our dreams? Will we? And so he watches. Why would he watch? Because you have a choice. You have a choice. And you you can make that choice. And, and as you make that choice, whether you're going to make the choice to obey or you're going to make the choice not to obey, I, I can't answer that question. Because we are given those choices. You have that choice in your life. But it may affect where you go next. It may affect what happens next. It may affect your character in some ways. It may affect some of the things that come your way after this. I don't know. But he watches. Because you, you think about the, these words here, right? infidelity. Okay, when it comes between your relationship with God, what is infidelity with God? What does that mean to you? What would it be between people? Yeah. What do we call infidelity among, like, cheating? Right. And so that was something that he he looks at in our responses to him. Will we be faithful? We be loyal? We make decisions based on that. Another word there is inconsistent. You know, you understand what it means to be inconsistent. He he is a, you know, you hear words in the Bible like purity, and we like to put all kinds of connotations on that word, but its denotative meaning is just of one substance. That's what he looks for in us. When the Bible talks about being pure, it really is not a moral statement. It's a statement about being of one thing. I'm all about one thing. What's that thing? God. If we're going to be pure, the pure of heart, that means that our heart is just of one substance. We're about one thing. We're not divided. We're not trying to figure out how to make everything work. We're not finagling. We're not trying to excuse certain things so that we can do other things. I mean, that's all like great, but it's, it's divided and it's not what God's looking for. He's looking for one thing. He's looking for purity. What? Of one substance. And so when we talk about consistency... That has to do with that. That speaks to a purity of one substance. 
of just being consistent with what we say. You know, and I can make these uh, kind of simple terms, but like if you're consistent with what you say, what does that mean? That you're going to do what? You're going to do what you say. Keep your word. You'll be consistent. You're going to keep going. You're about one thing. You're about one thing. But he looks for us in our obedience. He looks for consistency. He he looks for fidelity. That's what he looks for. Okay, and both those words speak to of one thing, a purity. And one thing that you you see in the especially in the New Testament, a word that's used quite a bit in the New Testament is the word hypocrisy. Yeah. Hypocrisy. And and that's just that's just making stuff up. That's just pretending. That's just you look one way but you're really another. And and that's something that he's just not looking for. At least not in any positive way in our lives. You know, my faith in, in Christ, my faith in God, is as simple as I can possibly stand it to be. And I want to encourage you toward that. There's no need to complicate it. And you know, I hear people arguing about Christian stuff, and I can't figure out what is the need to complicate what I believe is a simple message. Why? Why? And I've only come to one conclusion on that, and I'll share it with you right now. You know, I'll TM this if you want, but we just want to do what we want to do. And the more complicated the message is, the more complicated the expectations, the more complicated that we can make it, the more excuse we can find in those gaps to do what we want to do. And that's why we love to complicate stuff. If I ask somebody to do a simple task, like if I said, hey, Cam, could you take that chair out into the conference room? And then Cam looked at me and says, that chair? Like, yeah, the one sitting in front of you, man. The black chair here. Yep, yep, that one. He's like, okay, so you want me to pick that up? Yep, yeah. And I'm going to walk with it? Do you want me to walk with it over my head or in front of me? Um, either way, I don't care. I just want you to take it back to the conference room. All right. Well, if I start taking it, it starts slipping or something, can I set it down for a minute? Because I'll pick it back up and then I can keep going with it? Yeah, that'll be fine. Well, like, like halfway, if I want to rest, would that be okay? Yeah, that's fine. That's good. Good. You can rest if you want, just as long as you pick it back up and take it over there. It's like, okay, All right, yeah, I can do that. Um, what happens if the door's closed on the conference room when I get there? Should I knock or just go in? All right, now, uh, you follow what I'm saying here? All right, All right. there's a simple, simple task. Take the chair into the conference room. What am I doing by asking all those questions? Complicating it. And what does that really tell me about, and, and I've learned this over the years, 
if somebody complicates something like that and they keep asking me questions about it, what do I know about that person and that task? What? They don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, see, I start getting a pain in my head right here as I begin to answer those questions. And it grows. It's harsher, like, like a nail is being driven into my mind right here. And so at some point after the fourth question, I snap and pick up the chair and take it back there myself because he don't want to do it. And the older I get, the quicker I snap and just do it myself because <laughs> I learned. I learned. And so we do that kind of a thing with God. But we do it almost on a on a uh, a macro scale, like like as an organization. I mean, how many volumes of theology are, are exist in the world? How many thousands of volumes of theology exist in the world? And this and here we have a message that's meant for shepherds that couldn't even read or write. But we need thousands of volumes to explain the gospel. Right? Complicated, complicated, complicated. We just don't want to live it. We just don't want to live it. And so I encourage you to simplify, simplify, simplify. We need to remember. We need to be thankful. Thanksgiving is coming up, so this is convenient. We need to remember. We need to be thankful. And what that leads to in our lives is hope. Lots of hope for the future. I've been led to where I'm at. Here I am. I'm really thankful for my experiences. I'm really thankful for the provision over my life. I'm really thankful for God opening up doors. I'm really thankful for God closing doors. I'm really thankful for the place that I'm in right here and now. And i got all kinds of hope what's coming all kinds of hope for what the future has for me and let's live in that hope let's live in that confidence let's live in that faith I'm going to take a moment and pray and I just want to encourage you to respond to this exhortation tonight because that's what it is I mean it's an encouragement for us it's an encouragement for us to remember it's an encouragement for us that, that God leads and that the wilderness has a purpose, even if we find ourselves in a wilderness right now, maybe you're not where you want to be right this second. And I and you might not be. And I understand that. But even in the place where you're at, you can be thankful. You can be thankful. And let that thanksgiving for where you're at and for the, the and for the path that you've been led on. Let that thanksgiving give you hope for the future. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just loving us. Thanks for taking care of us. Thanks, God, for really leading the way. Because you do lead us in the way. It is the way. I pray, God, that our lives would be marked by uh, as a people of the way. And I ask you that we would really live in such a way that uh, people would notice that our decisions are not just based on what we want. Our decisions are not based on what's best for us necessarily or what has the most financial gain 
or what's going to give us the most power or prestige, or what's going to make us famous or not famous. And I, and I thank you that, God, we have something bigger, something larger. We have more of a consideration than those things, that stuff. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we be a people marked by our lives being different than that. Thanks for your provision in the past. Thanks for your leading and guiding in the past. Thanks for slowing us down when we needed to slow down. And thanks for speeding us through when it was time to speed through. Thanks, God, for looking out for us to the right and to the left and looking out behind us. Thank you, God, for clear direction. Thanks for a future where we can be confident that you're with us, that we can live in hope. So, God, I pray that uh, hope would be cultivated in each one of us tonight. I pray for bigger hope, more hope. I pray, God, more assurance. I just ask you that we would uh, look forward with anticipation of good stuff, of productive stuff. And I pray that you continue your work on our character of making us new. So God, we give you thanks tonight. We give you praise for all that love and all that care. Give you thanks and praise for your presence and for change. Good change. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. <laughs>